at the back door She tried to make it fast Once you hit the hardwood It fell like broken glass She said sometimes love slips away And you just can't get it back Let's face it For one split second She almost turned around But that would be like pouring raindrops Back into a cloud Took another step Said I see the way out And I'm gonna take it Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, alcoholics of all ages, welcome to the seventh episode of If These Walls Could Talk. I'm your host and resident alcoholic, Dougie Fresh. Go grab a snack, juice, pop, or as I like to call it, the champagne of waters, Perrier. Just don't go grab that beer or alcoholic beverage. We'll get this show on the road shortly. Sit back, hang tight. Wasted by Carrie Underwood to start off this evening's podcast. Just to let you know, each week I'll be playing a song from my sober playlist on Spotify, which includes songs just like that one that I found inspirational along my road to recovery. But to be totally honest with you tonight, that song was chosen by our guest this evening, Saya, but we'll get to her in just a minute. I would like to remind everyone listening tonight, wherever you are in the world, that I do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. And neither do any of my guests. We are simply sharing our experience, strength, and hope in the hope that it reaches the still practicing and still suffering alcoholic. I hope everyone is having a fantastic day so far. I know I am. Let's get the show on the road. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the sexiest, richest, healthiest bugger of them all? If I'm being totally honest with you, none of these apply to me. I am not the sexiest, even though my ego tells me so. I am definitely not the richest, because the lint in my pockets. And for the healthiest part, well, that's an area I'm still working on. A big area. (laughs) But when you look at yourself in the mirror, what do you see? Are you proud of the person who is staring back at you? Or are you filled with regret, filled with shame and remorse? Do you slouch when you stand, or are you puffed out chest kind of person? These are all questions I asked myself the first time I read the following poem. The Man in the Glass When you get what you want in your struggle for self, and the world makes you king for a day, then go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that man has to say. For it isn't a man's father, mother, or wife whose judgment upon you must pass. The fellow whose verdict counts the most in life is the man staring back in the glass. He's the fellow to please, never mind all the rest, for he's with you clear to the end. And you've passed your most dangerous, difficult test if the man in the glass is your friend. 
You can fool the whole world down a pathway of years and get pats on your back as you pass. But the final reward will be heartache and tears if you've cheated the man in the glass. Just to let you know, if you've enjoyed that poem and are wondering if there's a female version of it, there is. It's the woman in the glass. Now, you may wonder why I'm thinking of this poem today. Well, just recently on a Zoom travel of mine around the world, I heard an awesome quote from from an awesome individual by the name of Saya. She said, I had to stop proving everybody wrong and start proving myself right. So it got me thinking, is this what the man in the mirror is asking us to do? Well, in order to answer that question, we need to go to the source. How are you doing today, Saya? Hey, Doug. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, the, the pleasure is mine. Thank you for being here. Um, so why don't you tell our listening audience today a little bit about yourself and, uh, and how you ended up um, where you are and, and how you ended up where you are today. Okay. I am the fifth of six girls, and we grew up in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, about 45 minutes north of the city. Uh, I had a pretty normal, you know, in terms of craziness and and life stuff, as normal and drama-free as a house full of seven women can be, I suppose. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I grew up playing sports. I played basketball, volleyball, and softball all growing up. I was really occupied all the time with those things and with my sisters and with friends and I grew up in a small, tight-knit community, so everyone knew everyone. And for me, it really wasn't until my mid-teens, mid to late teens, uh, that I actually even tried alcohol. It just hadn't crossed my mind. I didn't partake in those things really in high school because I didn't want to get caught and get in trouble and not be able to play sports the next day. Mm -hmm. So... For me, uh, I graduated high school and I was 17. I was young for my grade and I started working full time. And I think I lost who I was as an athlete. And I was trying to quickly fill that void of what's next. So I dove right into work. I was working at a country club. I ended up working there for about 10 years and I just started hanging out with people who drink like I began to drink. And the very first time I drank, I I remember exactly where I was. And I don't remember how I got anywhere after that moment. And I think the next day I realized that was a blackout. And at the same time, I thought that was kind of fun. I can't wait to do that again. Mm. And So I had my oldest son when I was 20. He's 19 today. Um, And then so my 20s were really having kids, working full time and raising kids. So I didn't it it, it wasn't some crazy roaring 20s. It it was pretty mild. I think um, from about 30 to 33, I really made up for that time quickly. And in August of 2014, Um, we moved from the Chicago suburbs to the Denver metro area, exactly a thousand miles away. And my sobriety date is April 10th of 2015. So you can tell that that was a quick eight month downward spiral. I mean, spiral would be an understatement, Mm. but I, it quickly escalated 
uh, far beyond anything I could control. And what I've learned is that the second I started to control my drinking, it had already way overtaken and taken control of me. There was no controlling it. And so I, my sister flew in from Virginia on Thursday, April 9th, and I don't remember her coming in the house. Um, I don't remember her getting home from the airport. I just remember waking up at about two o'clock in the morning and I was sitting up on the couch and I looked over and she was sitting next to me with tears in her eyes. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, I was afraid that if I fell asleep, that you wouldn't wake up. And I think for a long time prior to that, I had known that I, I, I was quickly, very quickly losing it, losing everything it felt like. I couldn't sleep without waking up in the middle of the night and having a drink because my heart was racing so hard. It felt like it was going to beat out of my chest. I would wake up profusely sweating. And, you know, to this day, um, I, I have never confirmed that that was an intervention, but, uh, the timing of it was pretty spot on. So my ex-husband called me out to the driveway and in the back of the car, he had two big black bags full of vodka bottles. And he said, you need to go to rehab. You need to go to meetings and you need to go see a counselor or I'm taking our kids and going back to Illinois. And I shared with someone the other day that I felt like that was my moment for me. That was my jumping off place. I had two directions that my brain could have gone and the easy path would have been to say, great, I don't care. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Do whatever you need to do. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want easy. I think I felt this almost a sense of relief like, oh, thank God, I've finally been caught. And I don't want to live this way anymore. I couldn't imagine, honestly, at that point, I couldn't imagine never drinking for the rest of my life. And I also couldn't imagine drinking for the rest of my life. It was such a strange place to be in. But I, that day I called uh, the local AA number. And, you know, there are about a thousand meetings in the Denver metro area a week. So, at that point, obviously, they were all in person. And I called and a woman met me that night and said, if you really think you have a problem, I'll, I'll do whatever you need me to do to help you. But you have to do whatever you need to do to help you, too. Hmm. So so early sobriety was uh, really the most challenging. Looking back now, I'm able to reflect and, and I try to reflect instead of sitting in that place, but I'm able to reflect and think, you know, I, I went through, <clears throat> excuse me, I went through some really difficult things in, in early sobriety. And I went to 65 meetings in my first 32 days because I had to, I, it was a toxic environment at home. Um, I, and I needed to be with people who made me feel like I belonged and that I was worthy of living a better life and that I was lovable, but I had to do that internal work first. And for a long time, I was really, I was hearing from outside sources, you know, we can't wait for you to fail. Um, she's going to go get drunk again. We're going to take the kids and leave this state, all of this over and over for the first two and a half months, really. 
And I shared it with a woman in recovery. And she said to me, why do you care what they think? They've never supported you in anything you've done. Why would they support you in something that is truly life and death? And, and she was right. And I think at that moment, I knew I, I will not stay sober if I am in these rooms in recovery in general for anyone or anything except myself and my own well-being. And that was the moment where it really clicked that I, I wanted to do the work to prove to myself that I could do this. It didn't matter what other people thought of me. You know, I share that all the time. What other people think of me is none of my business. If I spent so much time focusing on what other people thought, I would never do that internal work. So I've been sober for um, almost 70 months. And I, when that sentence comes out of my mouth, it, it brings tears to my eyes. It really does because I truly, I did not ever think that I could stay sober for seven days. I wanted to come into these rooms so that I didn't lose my kids, so that I didn't lose a marriage that was already broken, and so that I could learn to drink normally. And thank God I stuck around and learned how to live without drinking at all so far. That's, that, 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 was a, that was a really good story. And, uh, you know, I, I really appreciated listening to that. Um, you kind of, in a way, um, answered my second question. So, um, you know, your quote, I had to stop trying to prove everybody wrong and start proving myself right. Um, was there anything else you'd like to add to that quote or, or did you kind of sum that up already? You know, I think going along with the poem you read, I, I mean, that, that was just beautiful. It, that just, that just hits me. And I think what it, what it made me realize, it took me back. Honestly, it took me back. I can picture exactly where I was. I used to turn my back towards the end of active addiction. So starting in March of 2015. From that point on, I remember turning my back to the mirror because I couldn't look at my own reflection. I didn't, I didn't know who she was anymore. Mm. And I think that that's truly what I, you know, I don't have a lot of the yets. I have not yet gotten a DUI or been arrested or lost my kids, you know, through all of that, through all the work in early sobriety, I ended up with 92% of parenting time. So I, I knew that I could do this, but that it had to be from the inside out. And I, I needed to be able to pass that mirror test, to be able to look myself in the mirror and say, I'm proud of who you've become today, instead of you are a worthless piece of shit. And that's how it felt for a long time. Mm. And I think that that goes along with proving other people wrong and proving myself right because what I think of myself at the end of the day is really all that matters. No one else is in my brain. No one else is in my heart. And that work has to be internal for me. Hmm. That, uh, that, that's really well said. And, uh, you know, I, um, you know, I, I don't know you very, very much. Uh, we've only been in a couple of meetings together, but, uh, you know, I've, I follow your journey on, uh, on Instagram and, uh, you know, I, I can honestly say that you have a lot to be proud of today. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wish you nothing but the greatest success going forward in the future. 
Um, Saya, thank you so much for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with everybody today. And, uh, you know, you mentioned before we got started today that you were taking your, your family skating. Um, you know, I, I want you to go and enjoy that time with your family and, and skate your little hearts away. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Saya. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Wow. That was awesome. Um, when I heard that quote for the first time, I could so much relate to it. In my life, there's been so many times where I've been so mad at people, I wanted nothing more than to prove them wrong. But being sober for as long as I have been now, I've realized that in life, in life is not about proving others wrong, that it's proving myself right. And maybe that sounds selfish, but in this program, we are told to be selfish. In this poem I read earlier, it says, no one's judgment matters the most in matters the most more in the man in the glass than his own. Which is us, in Saya's words, proving ourselves right, or knowing our truth and being okay with it. I'm not perfect. Lord knows I'm not perfect. Um, but I got scars and scrapes. And I'm a little more rounder than what I would like to be, <laughs> let's be totally honest. But it's me. This poem changed my outlook on the way I continue to look at my life today. For I know that there was a yesterday where I couldn't look myself in the mirror with respect for the things that I had said and done, and the life I used to live. Isn't it strange to think that looking in a mirror could be the most difficult thing to do? I know that in life it's, it's a daily struggle and it's a work in progress, and I'm okay with that. So as I no longer do the things I used to do, but still maybe sneak a, a candy or a jube jube here or there, I can honestly say wholeheartedly that I'm proud of the man staring back at the glass today. I want to thank my guests again, Saya, for coming on and sharing her experience, strength, and hope today and that wonderful quote. And I want to thank everybody who's listening around the world. Um, I want everybody to have a great, fantastic day. Put a smile on your face. Better yet, put a smile on somebody else's face. Thanks again. And uh, I want to listen a little bit more of Carrie Underwood taking us out. And I no longer waste my life today. Thanks, everybody. Peace and love from the Great White North. Take care. She said sometimes love slips away And you just can't get it back Let's face it For one split second She almost turned around But that would be like pouring raindrops Back into a cloud So she took another step And said I see the way out And I'm gonna take it